Welcome to A Firm Foundation, presented by Princeton Ministries, with Dr. Ken Smith. This is Carol Smith, Ken's wife. Please enjoy. There is a war that is being waged today that is more destructive than the accumulated power of any atomic bomb. The commodity over which this war is being waged is not gold or diamonds from South Africa. It's not oil in Iran. And yet this war, I believe most Christians don't even know that it's going on. the battlefield for the war takes in men, women, and children. There are casualties in all of those parts of society. The war that is being waged is a war for your mind lives today as though we were on rest and relaxation, as though there were no battle lines, as though there were no war. The reason? We don't know the enemy. I believe that there has been a written basis that is open to the public clearly explaining the enemy, clearly telling Christians what his strategy is. A good soldier knows the enemy. We're told that the best troops in preparation for war actually fight and practice under live ammunition. And yet, in the camps of Christians, we don't hear or see any live ammunition. We go from week to week. We sing, am I a soldier of the cross? Onward, Christian soldiers, into battle. And yet, I'm afraid that for the average Christian, he looks around and sees peace has been negotiated. Who is the enemy? What are his strategies? But I would say that the enemy has not stopped his planned, methodical overtaking of any institution that was founded for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while we have been resting and relaxing, the enemy has slowly been taking over these institutions. It should come as no surprise when we read in Romans 
chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There are consequences that flow inevitably from what you think and what I think. And the most important consequences of daily living are related to what you and I think about God. And there is an organized determination to destroy in this country and around the world any organization, body, family, or individual who bases their life on Jesus Christ. Who is this enemy? In one word, humanism. Some say, well, I think you're going a little too far. Is there really a written plan for the takeover and destruction of Christian institutions in this country? I believe there is. And I will use the documents from humanist organizations to try to support that, that you might be knowledgeable in the enemy. Now, historically, there have been two lines of thinking, and only two. The first is the line of the wisdom of man. You place in that all of the great writing that has been accumulated by man, and there you have it, the repository for all that man knows. But the other important and equally powerful and even more powerful source of information is biblical revelation. Those things that we cannot, by our own wisdom, receive about God. And God has written those for us in his word, the scriptures. Now, humanism is the wisdom of man. And I would like to talk about three areas of humanism. What is humanism? Two, where did it come from? And three, what does it believe? First of all, what is humanism? Sir Julian Huxley was one of the founders of the American Humanist Association, and he defined humanism this way. I use the word humanist to mean someone who believes that man is just as much a natural phenomenon as an animal or plant that his body, mind, and soul were not supernaturally created, but are products of evolution, and that he is not under the control or guidance of any supernatural being or beings, but has to rely on himself and his own power. Now, the question is, where did humanism come from? Paul Kurtz, who was involved in the 
writing of the Humanist Manifesto I and Humanist Manifesto II states, humanism is a philosophical religious, and it's interesting to note that the term religious is used over nine times by humanists about themselves, defining themselves as a religious thought. Humanism is a philosophical, religious, and moral point of view as old as human civilization itself. It has its roots in classical China, Greece, and Rome. It is expressed in the Renaissance and the Enlightenment in the scientific revolution and in the 20th century. Now, what do humanists believe? And this is very important. For the humanists gathered in 1933, and at that meeting some 34 of these men and women gathered together to establish the philosophical and religious foundation for this philosophy. They called it the Humanist Manifesto I. And I would like to quote from portions of these documents so that you would know the foundation of one of the greatest evil thoughts that is seeking to take over the institutions that have been built by the faithful proclamation of Jesus Christ. And over the last 20 or so years, we have seen a gradual, systematic, subtle twisting of those institutions until today, the name Jesus Christ is hardly mentioned in the halls of our great universities. It is hardly to be mentioned within an elementary school. How did that happen? Just by chance or by plan. Humanist Manifesto One. We affirm the following. First, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Humanism believes that man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. Third, holding an organic view of life, humanists find the traditional dualism of mind and body must be rejected. Religious humanists, and I quote, considers the complete realization of human personality to be the end of man's life and seeks its development and fulfillment in the here and now. In place of the old attitudes involved in worship and prayer, the humanist finds his religious emotions expressed in a heightened sense of personal life. It follows that there will be no uniquely religious emotions and attitudes of the kind hitherto associated with belief in the supernatural. Certainly, religious institutions, their ritualistic forms, ecclesiastical methods, and communal activities must be reconstituted as rapidly as experience allows in order to function 
effectively in a modern world. So state the theses of religious humanism. Though we consider, say the humanists, the religious forms and ideas of our fathers no longer adequate, the quest for the good life is still the central task for mankind. Man is at last becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world and of his dreams. And that was signed by the leading humanists in 1933. And we might say, well, that was a long time ago. And uh, certainly nothing to be frightened of, is there? Well, the humanists gathered a second time. Forty years later, now 1973. And in this, they developed the Humanist Manifesto number two. In the preface to that manifesto, they declared, as in 1933, humanists still believe that traditional theism, especially faith in the prayer-hearing God, assumed to love and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them is an unproved and outmoded faith, says Humanist Manifesto 2. And I continue. Salvationism, based on mere affirmation, still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. Reasonable minds, say the humanists, Look to other means for survival. The next century can and should be the humanist century. And then the humanist manifesto, too, lists those areas of their unity. First, we believe, however, that traditional dogmatic or authoritarian religions that place revelation, God, ritual or creed above human needs and experiences do a disservice to the human species. We find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of a supernatural. It is either meaningless or irrelevant to the question of the survival and fulfillment of the human race. As non-theists, as humanists, we begin with humans, not God. Nature, not deity. And while there is much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what will become. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. The second foundation of the humanists in their declaration was this. Promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. They distract humans from present concerns, from self-actualization, and from rectifying social injustices. We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Reason 
and intelligence will, for the most part, be the most, most effective instruments that mankind possesses. In the area of human sexuality, the Humanist Manifesto said, in the area of sexuality, we believe that intolerant attitudes often cultivated by orthodox religions and puritanical cultures unduly repress sexual conduct. The right to birth control, abortion, and divorce should be recognized. While we do not approve of exploitive, denigrating forms of sexual expression, neither do we wish to prohibit by law or social sanction sexual behavior between consenting adults. Is that a familiar phrase to you? The many varieties of sexual exploration should not in themselves, according to the humanists, be considered evil. The Humanist magazine, which is a regular periodical of the Humanist Association, several back issues said, Darwin's discovery of the principle of evolution sounded the death knell of religious and moral values. It removed the ground from under the feet of traditional religion. And today within our country we find rampant disorder, confusion as to values, morals. How did that happen? By chance? or by plan. An interesting point that is foundational and I believe has seeped into the Christian church is the ninth foundation of the Humanist Manifesto. And isn't it interesting that they would be interested in this? The separation of church and state and the separation of ideology and state are imperatives. Why would the humanists be interested in separating the church from the state? The reason is that a multitude of religious thought might be presented so that, as a result, the Christian foundation of this country and the institutions that were founded by godly men and women would be eroded and no longer be seen as the basis and the foundation. And yet I'm afraid that there are many Christians who totally misunderstand the concept of separation of church and state, feeling that all we're interested in is the establishment of a bishop. That could be no further from the truth and I will speak more about that in just a moment. It's interesting that this humanist manifesto was signed by hundreds of influential men and women in institutions, colleges, universities all around this country. Some of the men who signed this manifesto Albert Ellis, popular psychiatrist. Lester Mondale, who was the either father or grandfather of 
Vice President Walter Mondale, B.F. Skinner, Joseph Fletcher, the author of Situation Ethics. Is it of any interest that that book became such an important part of the teaching in our schools in the last decade? Betty Friedan, the founder of NOW. And the list goes on and on and on of those people who are in influential places in this country who have signed and said publicly, we support this belief that humanism must take over those institutions that have been Christian. But for the Christian, we're caught in between two worlds. We are caught in the world of the knowledge and wisdom of man, but we are also in the world of the revelation of God, his scripture. And in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, it should also come as no surprise to us. For the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. Now, there's great concern in the humanist circles that they not be called atheists. Although, in their writings, they clearly say that they do not believe in any supernatural and that they feel that this is a very bad idea. It's a hurtful idea. Well, why would the humanists not want to be called atheists, at least publicly, even though privately they would all be in agreement. William P. King, in a book entitled Humanism, makes this very perceptive observation. There is almost nothing upon the destruction of which leading humanists seem so determined as any vital belief in God as a supernatural intelligent being worthy of faith and fellowship. The natural conclusion, says King, is that the humanist does not find the term atheist useful in his propagandist activities. It is still unfashionable in America to be called an atheist. And the humanist knows that. And so he does not want to have that label, although all of his foundational beliefs clearly teach that he is an atheist. Well, there are many Christians who would ask the question, is it fair, was there ever a time in the life of this country that we could say it was Christian? And it shocks me as I talk with Christians to see, especially amongst newer Christians, the belief that everything has always been up for grabs and that this culture certainly could not be called Christian. In 1892, no less than the Supreme Court of the United States made an exhaustive study of the supposed connection of Christianity to the government of the United States. And after reviewing hundreds of volumes and cases, the Supreme Court of the United States asserted, and I quote, 
these references add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a religious people, a Christian nation, unquote. As late as 1952, William Douglas, who himself was no lover of the Christian faith, affirmed again, and I quote, we are a religious people and our institutions presuppose a supreme being. Now, over the last 20 years, the philosophies and teachings of humanism have crept into almost all of our institutions. And what has been the consequence of humanism? It certainly has not been Bible-believing churches that have advocated sexual permissiveness, trial marriages, easy divorce, abortion on demand, co-ed college dorms, homosexuality as an optional lifestyle, or the use of pornography or drugs. This has come unanimously from the country's leading humanist educators. And in the meantime, Christians simply listen. And we read in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, this great warning to Christians. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Has your mind been renewed? Do you know the enemy? Christian is not to be quiet, because as you are quiet, the enemy is taking over institutions, colleges, even churches. How have you come to see it? Is your mind being conformed by this world, or is it being conformed by the renewing power of God through Jesus Christ? There are two minds. Which one do you have? You can have the mind of Christ simply by trusting in Him, putting your faith in Christ. And I would ask you this week, would you please write me a letter that we could learn how this broadcast today has helped you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to A Firm Foundation presented by Princeton Ministries. This programming is supported by you, the listener. You may go to our website, princetonministries.org, or send your donation to Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. That's Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. The Lord bless you, and Dr. Smith looks forward to hearing from you. We would like to thank Roan's Web Development Company for making this webcast possible. You can find their link at the bottom of our website, princetonministries.org.